Hey folks, and welcome to Typology, the show on which we explore the mystery of the human personality through the lens of the Enneagram. My name is Anthony Skinner, your producer and co-host. So happy to have you here, folks. Hope you have uh, enjoyed your holiday season and uh, getting off to a grand new year here. Today on the show, we have what we call a regular because she is returning to the show. I'm talking about author and therapist Sissy Goff. She is, of course, associated with the well-known Daystar Counseling Ministries here in Nashville, Tennessee. You've seen her on Southern Living, NBC Nightly News, CNN, Good Morning America, and more. She co-hosts the chart-topping Raising Boys and Girls podcast with fellow Daystar counselor David Thomas, and she is the author of many books, but the one we're talking about today is Worry-Free Parent. We're so happy to have Sissy on. So glad that you are back with us, folks. This is a good one. And now here's the host of the show, Ian Cron. Hey, Typology family, Ian Morgan Cron here again, your host on the program, the podcast on which we explore the mystery of the human personality of the human adventure. I'm here joined by my good friend, Franklin, Tennessee native, Anthony Skinner. Anthony. (laughs) Hey, Ian, how are you doing? You know, I'm doing great today. Yeah. How was your holidays? You know, how were my holidays? They were exceptional. All the- Didn't you have all the family coming in? Yep. All, we had eight people, eight, all of us in total. Wow. And I, I spent money I don't have- um, on people that I love. So it, it worked out to be both painful and precious. <laughs> nice. I had a painful and precious Christmas. Nice. Did you have any Ourobora? Oh, I always drink Ourobora sparkling water. You kidding? They got some cool seasonal stuff going on, by the way. Cranberry chai. Boom. Mm-hmm. We're loving Lo- it here at the Skinner family. Loving my Ourobora carbonated drinks indeed well <laughs> enough of this trivial talk let us get to matters that matter yes today we have on the show as people already know our good friend sissy goff and sissy welcome back to typology you are now officially a regular yes all right i'm so honored and excited to be a regular you know i'm a well, one i like I'm predictability that's right. That's exactly right. And I actually am a four who likes predictability. And I was for sure certain Anthony was going to play his clap track when I said, you're now a regular, but he didn't. <laughs> well, that's because you had a fit because I've played it so many times on the, on two, two podcasts ago. Okay. Now, wait a second. Let's just yeah. get something out in the open here right yeah. now. Okay? <laughs> we had a guest on the show that day that was very serious. And every time you hit the clap track, I looked at the person's face and they were like, well, guy, they were like, is this a funny show? And I'm like, I didn't know it was a funny show. <laughs> what the, what the uh, heck, Anthony? Like, you're yeah. like, this show is changing. I just want everyone to know right now, this show, the wheels are kind of coming off right now. And I, we've got to get back to discipline. We have a one on the show. And I think Sissy's going to, I hope she's not at the high side of seven or this thing is going to go really <laughs> south. I'll, I'll tell you what'll get the clap track. It can, I mean, Sissy can get it by herself, of course. But Sissy, where is it that you work in Nashville? Daystar Counseling. <laughs> we all love our hey, Daystar Anthony. here in Nashville. That was you awesome. <laughs> Sissy, I have trivia for you. Okay. 
I interviewed I interviewed at Daystar in 1994. I, I you know, you and told you, me you something like that. I know. Last time I was on, and you know, I started in '93, so well, I was all I can, wandering around. I'm just telling. Who was the woman who started Daystar again? Melissa Trevathan. That's right. That's right. And that's who I spoke with. <laughs> but here's how the here's how the interview went. The interview went something like this. I was graduating from grad school, coming out as a new therapist, called her, knew a lot about, blah, 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 blah. And, and it was like, yeah, well, just come on down. <laughs> that's funny. I could see that. And I was like, really? Like, you just want me to pack my car up and move my family there without a, a, like an in-face like, conversation? <laughs> like, nope, just come on down. You sound like a great person. I was like, well, all right. Unfortunately, it had to be another number of years before I ended up in Nashville, Tennessee. Yes. Anyway. Well, I didn't know the end of that story. So thank you for telling me that. Yeah, no worries. I'm sure it's changed your entire life. Hey, listen, you have a new book actually out last August, but still that's new. That's new. The Worry-Free Parent, Living in Confidence So Your Kids Can Too. And I want to commend this book to everybody because it is so timely, so well-written, so practical. And I wish I'd had it when my kids were smaller. Like, you know, I just mentioned our, our kids were all home. And, you know, you when your kids get older and you realize, oh, should have done that different, should have done this different. You know, there's there's just no way around having some of those thoughts and feelings, right? And this is one of those books that I, that I wish had been on the shelf, you know, and had been uh, available to me when... When, when they were uh, little youngins running around in puffy diapers. And, you know, um, you. before we jump into it, because a lot of this book is about worry and it is about anxiety. I want to talk about all that stuff. But first, I want to talk some Enneagram stuff with you. And I'm going to start off with the hardball. You ready? What are you yes. working on in therapy? What are you working on in your own therapy right now? Okay, here's my honest truth. I'm not in therapy right now. Mm-hmm. How's that okay. for a um, mic drop? I love the honesty. I- Yes, I the last time I was in therapy was four years ago, right before my mom died. And I oh. since then have been in spiritual direction, but I have not been back in therapy. Okay, but that's okay, hold on. Super legit. Super right. legit. I wonder if I know your spiritual director, but I feel sure you do. But I, I'm not in that right now either. I haven't been to that in a while either. Okay, you're I'm killing just dangling out on my own. Here. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've but, you know, I feel like it's a good rhythm of you get a lot of tools, you do a lot of work, and then you live yeah. with it for a while. And you read yes. and you glean, glean information other places. So I'm in that season. I'm in a parenthesis. One of my, one of my okay. early mentors emphasized the importance of seasons. Yes. So, yeah, it's like, you have, right, you have seasons. Yeah, yes. I agree. I think I'm not – I mean, I'll be honest. I'm not in therapy right now. But part of that is I just don't feel like I have much to talk about right now. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like my life is, it's doing okay. You know, I have other resources, ways of working on myself. And it's not like I'm not ever without a mindset of personal growth. So it's, you know, sometimes I need some help. Um, I do have somebody on speed dial though, which is true. I I do have somebody that I have an agreement with. It's like, call whenever you need to come back in when you need to. So it's, I think, I think that's, I think that's perfectly legit, but not letting you off the hook. What is at the forefront of your mind in terms of your own personal growth right now as an Enneagram one? Mm, I think I am working on the concept of enough. I can just drive myself into the ground on anything and everything that I do. 
and letting things go and realizing that for me, what feels like 80% is really acceptable. And and for somebody else, mm. that might even be 95% because I just work myself to pieces. And so that idea of letting enough be enough feels really important to me right now. And and in fact, we can talk about it later, but I wrote a whole chapter in the new book, really for Enneagram One parents. But also, I think oh. it was a lot of things I needed to hear. I didn't say that, that directly in the book, but that was the heart behind it. Oh, Anthony, write that down. We got to circle back. And mm-hmm. sister, remind me if we don't. I think... I think two things. One is you're younger than I am, but it is nice to get older. I keep saying that on shows, but it is nice to get older. Yes. It is nice to reach a point, right? Can you imagine saying to yourself at 28, as an Enneagram one at 28 years old, that 80% is acceptable? Oh, Mm. no, no, not in a million years. Right. It was so, we were in the middle of the great struggle back then. We were. Everything was the great struggle. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. And that, that that concept you just mentioned about letting go, this is yes. something in my new book, and I'm th- th- there's a topic in the new book, and I, you know, this whole idea of the, the great paradox is that when we let go, everything we want tends to come back, and, mm. you know, in a good way. And mm-hmm. it's just a weird physics of the spiritual universe. And and yeah. it seems to me that, that that is one of the gifts of getting older is is letting go. As and, an idealist, that would have been good for me to know. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> 80% I love that. To, yeah. Close to ideal. Yeah, right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the other 20% is called compromise, which was something we didn't know anything about at the time. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Yeah. Right. So, so you're working uh, on having a life that sounds like one that has more equanimity, uh, a life where it's like it's okay, eighty yes. percent works. That's a yes. that right. It's the good enough thing. Yes, know? exactly. Good enough parent. Good enough partner. Good enough. Oh man, I love that. That is so all good. The now, as a yeah, all the all the things. You were oh, sorry. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> well, so as an Enneagram one, and a practitioner, a student, a therapist. What new, do you have any new insights into the Enneagram or an appreciation, a point of appreciation about the Enneagram that's new for you since we last spoke? I think I have done more studying of the stances since we last spoke that has mm. been really helpful for me. Ooh, sounds mm. juicy. Even, Tell me more. Well, I think even managing my own emotional response when I'm sitting with a person, because I think I mm. am aware that especially with aggressive stance folks, I can often, or actually really anxious folks in general, but I can absorb what they're kind of communicating, what's coming out of their aggressive stance. And I can start to think I'm doing something to cause that, or I'm doing something that's not right, or I'm feeling Mm. that emotion rather than it emanating from them. And so I think understanding the stances has been able to help me put more of an an appropriate boundary. This is kind of a silly story, but I have the guy that lives behind me planted bamboo. Oh, which is just not enjoyable oh, at no. all because it goes everywhere. And and so anyway, in response, he's been a great neighbor and somebody came in and they planted these, I mean they dug up and put these metal plates in between his yard and mine to prevent the bamboo. It hadn't prevented it. 
But sometimes I think, okay, what does it look like for me to put a metal plate between this person's emotion and what they're giving off and myself so that I don't have to Mm -hmm. absorb whatever is going on for them because it's not about me. And I can tend to think it's Mm -hmm. about me at times. Oh, man. You know, this is so interesting because we we earlier today recorded a show with another author who we were talking about, you know, the holidays and how not to get sucked into the emotional psychological vortex of Yes. Conversations with, and I'm sure you hear this a lot in your office these days. And uh, we, we got to talk about self-differentiation and how important it is to establish boundaries that prevent you from getting all wound up in other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, man, oh man, that's a constant daily practice, man. It's not easy. It is. It is. I think, and two, especially for anybody who's really empathetic and and wants to connect with other people and wants to emotionally be there for them, then I think the the individuation is that much harder, separation in those moments. Mm. Yeah, man. So, so very hard. Okay. So the worry-free parent living in confidence so your kids can too. I want to talk about this through the lens of the Enneagram. We're going to have plenty of Enneagram talk woven into this conversation. Uh, but let's let's start off by talking for a moment about the difference between like worry and anxiety. Mm. Well, y'all know. I mean, I, I think worry, <laughs> I read that worry is a response to cumulative stress over time. And I think that is true for all of us in this day and time. Worry's just become a natural part of who we are. Mm-hmm. And anxiety to me, the way that I talk about it with kids is we all have intrusive thoughts. But for kids, when those thoughts come in, for grownups who are anxious, when those co- thoughts come in, they get stuck like the one loop roller coaster at the fair. And so I think mm-hmm, anxiety mm-hmm. is being stuck in that loop that just circles around and around and around. And and for kids, it's easier to say, you're not going to throw up. You're not even sick right now. But I think for so many parents, mm. anxiety feels like good parenting because the loop is about well, did they really get their homework done or are they safe right now? Or is my daughter talking to anyone when she's at school or is everyone ignoring her? It's these things that, of course, we're worried about. But in that loop, vigilance and awareness that are required for parenting become hypervigilance quickly. Mm. So I was, you know, because of the book, I was thinking earlier today (laughs) about the difference between worry and anxiety. And here's how I here's how I sort of framed it for myself. And you tell yes, me if I'm right or not. For me, worry is very cognitive, right? It's, it's thinking. Whereas for me, in my own experience, like anxiety is somatic. It's something felt through the body. You know what yes, I mean? Yes, that's like, a great so way to describe it. Worry is something up in my head. It doesn't necessarily come with a bodily feeling. It's just yes. looping. It's like, well, I'm looping around, right? I'm telling stories, Uh I'm making up movies, right? But when I get anxious, like I feel it, like I can like point to points, parts of my body, like, oh, in my chest, oh, my breathing, am I tight, you know? But it's something I, and and if it reaches the point of panic, like having a panic episode, Mm -hmm. which I did in my 20s, thank God I haven't Mm. since then. Yes. Uh, You know, it's very bodily, you know? Mm. Yes. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, I would say that like, to me, anxiety, it is, like you said, more somatic and more based in maybe a deeper belief or deeper fear, and then even accompanied by more mental images as opposed to worry seemingly being more yeah. something temporary. But you know, when I was a young guy and was struggling with depression and anxiety and bad anxiety attacks, like sometimes anxiety would happen without worry. 
Like sometimes right. it would just mm-hmm. let loose in my body. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yes. like just, I wasn't worried about anything. I'm, I'm just going to have an anxiety attack. You know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. uh, like right. I'd be like, why is this? So, so I think there was something very bodily limbic. I don't even know how mm. to talk about the neuroscience of it, but, but certainly, you know, that was one deline- one distinction I was thinking about earlier today that, that, that just came to me as a result of your great book, the worry-free mm. parent living in confidence so that your kids can too. Well, is there such a thing as a worry-free parent? No. I mean, I think that's what we're working towards, certainly. We'll get there finally, I guess, when we get to heaven. But I think that's what we're moving towards. And I think there is a lot more freedom. I have never, in 30 years of counseling parents, I've never seen parents as riddled with anxiety as I'm seeing today. I mean, kids certainly too, but I mean... Well, I think there's a lot of reasons. I mean, one is I don't think there's ever been as much pressure on kids, which ripples over into pressure on parents. I mean, the achievement, the Mm -hmm. scores they have to have, the personal records they have to have in sports, the roles they have to get in the play. I mean, all the different things. There's so much pressure. And I, I also honestly think that Social media is contributing to it significantly for parents. I mean, if you think about, you know, we talk so much about the highlight reel, but the parenting experts, which I guess maybe I'm setting myself up to be one, but, you know, there's just so many voices and we all say different things. And even the whole movement, it makes me want to lose my mind. The, you only have 52 Sundays a year and however many Sundays before your child moves out of the house. And there's just this pressure on, I've got to make every (laughs) moment perfect and it's too much. And so not only am I seeing parents more anxious, but I'm seeing parents more angry at themselves, which I can certainly say as an Enneagram one, we can't be angry with ourselves without the anger spilling over onto the people that we love. So I'm hearing parents talk about being angry with their kids more too. So, this is really juicy. So Enneagram ones and anxiety and worry, what characterizes yes. them? Do you think that's sort of what's up with worry and Enneagram ones? You know, I, I would love to do some research on it because I am, I'm honestly pretty shocked at how often, well, we do a parenting seminar where I will talk about being an Enneagram one myself, and I'll say jokingly, spoiler alert, if you're an Enneagram one, you have anxiety, but instead of feeling it, you just get really productive. And people mm. laugh, but I, I can tell how angry I make certain people in the audience because I think it's never even occurred to them. And they wouldn't even say that that's true, but part of me wonders if... You know, I think often anxiety is a response to a lot of suppressed emotion anyway. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. M- my experience with kids, which has become what I believe to be true about adults too, is that kids who are anxious are very bright. They're really conscientious. They try hard. They care so much. They want really good things. And which sounds a lot like an Enneagram one, other numbers certainly too, but Part of me wonders, are a lot of the Enneagram ones in the world oldest children who often also weren't allowed to feel so much because there was a lot Mm -hmm. expected of them growing up? And so there's Mm -hmm. all this pressure, all this suppressed emotion inside of themselves, and, and they didn't know how to talk about it. And so they became really productive. And so now at 
the root of what's going on emotionally. I mean, certainly there's anger, but we all know anger is a secondary emotion. And I really, I have been saying to parents who are confessing to being really anxious, I mean, angry in my office, I think anxiety is at the root of most parental anger. I don't think it's that they're bad parents. I think they want really good things for their kids and it's just not happening. Sidebar to editorial here, Anthony. Sidebar, sissy. I think most of the anger that we see in our culture, politically and socially and whatnot, is unacknowledged anxiety. Yeah, it's anxiety. It's 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 people who feel powerless, not in control, and lacking certitude. And when that happens, people get anxious. And when people get anxious, it's a it's a hard emotion to stay in because we want power. Mm -hmm. So what do we do? We default to anger, which Mm -hmm. is a power emotion. And so it's like control. You know, if I can just get angry, it's like if, if everyone. If everybody on the left and the right could finally sit down and go, the problem here is I'm scared. (laughs) Absolutely. I have a, you know, I do some integration work and life coaching and I have a group of guys and this one father just kept telling me, I have have an anger issue. I have an anger issue. And so we were processing it and I said, well, tell me a little more about that. And he started telling me this story about his son. Uh, they were going canoeing and he was trying to get the canoe on top of the car and the son couldn't figure it out. And he just raged on him. And uh, well, what was going on? He's like, he's a senior. He's about to graduate. If he can't get a canoe on top of the car, what's going to happen to him? He was scared for his future. He was, it was all rooted in fear. It was really more fear to rage as opposed to anger. Right. And at a meta level, culturally, Mm -hmm. I think the same thing is in play. Unfortunately, People across political and social spectrums have a vested interest in keeping us afraid. Mm. Oh, yeah. They have a vested interest in keeping people anxious because then they can say, I have the solution to your anxiety. Well, I I think I just mentioned this to Ian uh, Sissy about a week ago. Uh, You know, I'm a musician and then do some stuff in the sync world, film and television. And there's a mutual friend or a friend of mine who was doing a. was had a, re- a piece requested f- by a major news network, and what they wanted was something that was anxiety producing. Mm. Wow. I mean, they're not even hiding it. No. Wow. That's yeah. why we have wow. shows like The Situation Room with yeah. a guy inside called Wolf. This is yeah. not supposed <laughs> to make you feel safe, right? Right. <laughs> totally. Oh my gosh. Well, totally. you know what, Sissy, okay. to your point about Enneagram ones and anxiety, right? I think there's a couple of things too at play, right? One is if you're a self, particularly if you're a self-pres one, right? Mm. Because I think the, the the other two variants of the of the perfectionist, they're they're not all the same. The interior world is not the same of those three different subtypes. Mm-hmm. So the, the 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 social and the the sexual subtype or one-to-one subtype, their their perfectionism expresses itself in different ways and like for example in one case, in one instance they're more concerned about the per- perfecting others and they're not very at all concerned or think it's important for them to work on themselves you know what i mean like it's mm. like a it's it's a little different it's a little upside down but i do think for the that self-pres one that you have perfectionism that then amplifies anxiety i mean perfectionism will cause anxiety like nobody's business. Uh, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Because the pursuit of flawlessness leads to higher stress and then greater self-criticism. 
right? Mm. And then yes. you have that voice of the inner critic, which intensifies feelings of anxiety, right? Because who's excited about, how do I want to say this, sitting on the edge of your chair waiting for the judge to show up? Mm-hmm. That causes anxiety, mm. right? Yes. And then I think, I think inflexible thinking causes anxiety too, uh, which can happen with an unhealthy one. Because mm. uh, it, it leads to this um, kind of um, resistance to new things, and those new things cause anxiety, and then you do, you double down, and it's on you know. So again, every type has has its own way, I guess, of manifesting anxiety and worry right. for parents. But mm. I think ones have you know some of those issues. Anthony, what do you think? Oh, definitely numbers that are more types that are more have more yes. anxiety than others mm-hmm. oh for sure i mean uh, ones i was just thinking when you're saying that if you're, you have such fixed thinking you don't have options that's a limited thinking sounds very uh anxiety inducing sevens of course have a ton of anxiety yeah um, but very suppressed very suppressed but you know i was just i was just with a friend the other day and the the woman that he's seeing uh stays busy it's like through activity, right? Through that future thinking, through possibilities. Like it's all sort of a way to work out the, to escape the anxiety that they're experiencing. I think we as fours do um, mm-hmm. have, mm-hmm. can can have a lot of anxiety. Yeah. So I was thinking about earlier, and this is me shooting in the dark, but mm-hmm. definitely sixes, obviously, because oh, their yeah. deficit yes. sin is fear. Yeah. Sure. So there's a lot of anxiety and what if thinking, which is really what anxiety is. I mean, yeah. it's, 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 it's fear root, but not rooted in any clear and immediate danger. Right. And so, so six is for sure. That's the obvious one, but fours, I was thinking for sure too, because, you know, when you spend your life, um, comparing yourself to other people and not measuring up, it causes anxiety. Um, and that is, you know, and of course their fours tend to be emotionally tweaked, you know, like pretty, pretty strong. And interestingly enough, nines, mm. I think, I think nines have issues around anxiety because of their fear of conflict. Right. Right. Yes. They're, they're so concerned with maintaining inner harmony, inner peace that, that I think that it actually creates a lot of anxiety for them when there's any kind of perturbation in the, in the, in the atmosphere that mm-hmm. makes them you know, feel like they're losing that. That makes sense. Yeah. Anyway, four, sixes, and nines, I think, all all have issues around uh, anxiety, but they all own them and wear them, uh, you know, a little bit differently. And, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, as we go into this conversation about the worry-free parent living in confidence so your kids can too, which is Sissy's new book, I want to, again, we're going to keep tapping back on the... um, the issues around anxiety and not only with parents, but for every single type on, on the Enneagram. Hopefully, hopefully we'll get to, we'll get to touch on every single one of them. Right. All right. So the last time you were here, uh, we had a wonderful conversation about raising worry-free girls. We're talking today about worry-free parents. A lot's happened since then. Yes. Um, things that cause anxiety, worry, and fear. And I know for you at Daystar that you had this um, or shared and participated in healing the community at Covenant School where the school shooting happened in, in Nashville. And I know that you were there on site that day and working with parents and in the midst of crazy stuff. I mean, the stuff we see on the news, events like this. I mean, I didn't, we had 9 11. 
You know, like, like, and right. I lived 30 miles from the World Trade Center when my kids were little. So we, that was a hugely wow. anxiety producing experience for us. And we lost friends and it was, it was very personal to, you know, the, obviously living that close. But, you know, we have like, it seems like, gosh, gosh, it seems like we have a school shooting or something like that, like every month almost, you know what I, I mean? Know. It's just like, yes. and, and with, and with the news up in our grill all the time, I mean, how could you not be an anxious, worried parent? What was that like? Right. Horrendous. I mean, I, I don't even, I don't really have many words for it. Um, shocking, horrendous. Covenant School has been a school that we've been really closely connected to. I mean, a lot of the schools in Nashville, but the headmaster, Catherine Kuntz, was a good friend of mine. And we have spoken there a lot and and have counseled a lot of the kids, do counsel now, counsel a lot more of the kids from Covenant. But yeah, so I got a text from a coworker who said there's been a shooting at Covenant. And I thought she had it wrong. I mean, I just didn't think there was any way. I live in Green Hills, which is the same neighborhood. And anyway, I went to work and found out that it had happened. And already we had some staff members who were going down there. And one was taking her dog, who's one of our therapy dogs. And so I drove down and a lot of the staff were going down to be with kids. And I ended up talking to several different parents. And I mean, you know, you just do what you feel like is the right thing to do in the moment. And and so I was standing there and they were there everybody was contained in the sanctuary at this church that was the reunification center. And they were calling out names of families that they were gonna have go down and, and reconnect with their kids next. And there was a lot of silence in between. And I just kept thinking, why's why is no one telling parents how to talk to their kids? Why is no one saying, hey, mm-hmm. when you get them, go to a park and create a lot of space and let them ask you questions. Let them lead the conversation and here. And so I knew enough of the folks that were involved and just said, hey, can we, can I help? And so ended up speaking to all the parents, just trying to give them some super, you know, we know when people are in trauma and grief like that, you just, you can't get any kind of footing. And so trying to give them some really practical boots on the ground, ways to talk to their kids. And so anyway, spent the day there with them. And, and then we have seen a lot of the kids and families since, and just, mm-hmm. it's just heartbreaking. I, I was on the phone with David Thomas, who y'all have had on, I know today with the head, the new head of school, just trying to figure out how we can help still, you know, they're, they're mm-hmm. moving back into the mm-hmm. school building this spring. So anyway, it's just been, it's, it's been awful. And y'all both know Nashville. I've never seen anything like it, the way the community surrounded the Covenant School in the the months after. I'm so grateful for that. Yes. Not not wishing to um, harp on detail, but I want our, our listeners to know that Catherine Kuntz died in that school shooting. Yes. Um, as did how many children? Three children and three adults. Yeah. Well, I mean... Uh, horrific, terrible. I am so grateful and relieved that that you were there uh, along with uh, the rest of the Daystar team that, you know, we're, we're bringing words of wisdom, consolation. Mm-hmm. And, and well, I bet there know, were 30 and, uh, counselors there. I think every counselor in Nashville just came to the site immediately to figure out how they could help. Mm-hmm. So I mean, Yeah. Just well, asked. again, particularly grateful that you were there. And, Thank um, you. You know, I feel like um, this is just another example of something that is heightening 
the anxiety of parents and what makes them worried. Like, yeah. you know, sending your kid off to school in the morning. Like, when did that start to be a worry? Right. It sure shouldn't be. So getting down to brass tacks here, in the book, you talk about five things that are true about anxiety, five ways parental anxiety affects kids, then five things people can do with their anxious hearts, right, parents. And then, you know, I want to just sort of talk about those for a second because, you know, mm -hmm. obviously people listen, they do want to know about the Enneagram. We're telling them about how different types, you know, what kinds of things trigger uh, anxiety in them. What, what are five things that are true or a couple of things that are true about anxiety? Let's start there. Well, one thing I would say is that exactly what we've been talking about, anxiety makes us angry. I think it's really important for parents to be aware of that. And I loved, Anthony, the story you told about that dad, because that's such a beautiful mm -hmm. picture of that. And it's, it's certainly true. Another is that anxiety makes us attach future meaning to present problems. So, which is what the guy you're talking about was doing too. Or it's, I mean, I'll never forget this mom who brought her daughter into me and she said, I need to talk to you about something that happened when we were on a trip. And I said, well, tell me what happened. And she said, my daughter went to throw away her trash in the hotel room and she missed the trash can and she left it there. You can guess the mom was a one. And, but I just sat there waiting for the, the punchline and she said, I can't believe she would have that little regard for others. How is she ever going to be a functional human being? Not, I mean, it just breaks my wow. heart. But I think that kind of thing, that's a very exaggerated example of what I hear parents right. do all the time in my office. He will never be able to drive a car if he can't keep up with taking out the trash like he's supposed to do several times a week, you know, or we just attach these future meanings to present problems over and over and they get bigger and bigger and we forget the kids are becoming and they're growing. That's a really important one. Another one that I think is significant, not to always take it back to ones. Obviously, I'm a one. I have a lot of compassion for ones. But something interesting that I read in the research is that anxiety in kids is often linked to a lack of parental warmth. And I think when we get anxious, we get so, we're looping in our thoughts, like you talked about, we're feeling in our bodies, we're not in the present moment. Anxiety resides in the past and the future, not in the present. And so our faces go blank and we don't bring any warmth to the equation with kids. And I mean, I can think of another parent who I believe is an Enneagram One and I have watched her with her daughter 15 times and I've never seen her smile once. And, mm. and that kind of warmth, I mean, attunement, we know is what helps kids learn to regulate. It teaches them to regulate their own emotions. And so we've got to be able to access warmth and, and we can't do it until we can let go of some of the anxiety. So those are, those are three maybe of the five. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about, just as you were saying that, and again, these are gross generalizations when I was talking about right. the Enneagram, right? So, you know, we could say, well, that's probably not a problem for a two, expressing warmth to a child, right? I think most fours are attuned pretty well with kids, right? And they tend to be emotional. They speak very openly about feelings. If they're healthy, they're willing to talk about someone else's feelings besides their own. Thank goodness. That's what I was saying, unless they're getting um, a little stuck in their own, right? Yeah. Sixes, I think, are really good at it, actually. 
Um, they're very, the sixes can be very warm and earthy and affectionate uh, yes. and attuned. Sevens can be very um, warm with, with kids as a, and nines too, obviously. I think it can be mm. a struggle for threes at times. I think it's a problem for fives. And I think it's for obvious reasons because of some of the most, the emotional distantiation that happens with fives, yes. distancing. Mm. And then yes. with eight, and then with eights, right? So where, where anger can become kind of a default and where there, there is oftentimes not very much attunement to their own anxiety and fear, which creates anger. Right? right. There's a lot of denial around, around fear in the eight. So threes, fives and eights, man, they got to work, I think a little bit harder than other types at, at being warm and attuned to their, their kids' feelings. Not that they aren't. I'm getting Include gross ones. If they're healthy, they're doing it. And ones. Yeah. Yes. And ones. Yeah. We so got ones, threes, fives and eights. Good. Mm-hmm. So what are, I can, we've talked a little bit about how parental anxiety affects kids. I mean, we leak. Right. And then our kids pick it up unconsciously, consciously and unconsciously. It's in the air. Right. It's just it's in the it's in the right in the house. It's just in Mm. the air. I'm sure you see that a lot. Yes. I really think there's something. I mean, I've never read this, but I think there's something where when one amygdala gets tripped, all the surrounding amygdalas get tripped and then no one's functioning out of a rational brain. Mm. I mean, I can see how, yes, that like you mentioned this in the book, right? That anxiety is contagious. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Exactly. Gosh. Like, like, I think it would be good for you to spell that out a little bit. Well, I, how parents it say it to me in my office. Child is what I'm. Yes. Well, I, I think anytime we are anxious, we have an intensity about us that for kids, I think even young kids, read that and they think, if my parent is not okay, then I'm not either. Yes. If something about them is registering that, then I'm going to absorb it as well. Or if it shifts over into anger, I think there is not much that can flip an amygdala for a child, which is the anxious part of their brain, non-thinking part of their brain, like anger in a parent. I think it gets them there so quickly. And so I think those are probably two of the primary ways that anxiety spreads to kids from parents. Right. Mm. The child's going to be thinking they know something I don't. Right, right. right. And, and the parent's not intending to in either aspect and not even intending right, to get sure. angry. And sometimes, yeah. I mean, back to your point, I just had a conversation with an eight who's a parent and what you were saying about eights. And I said, I want you to be aware just the tone of your voice when you're talking to your kids because you sound angry when you're not often. That's not what's happening inside of you, but that's how they read your intensity. And so breezy is a good posture often for parents, I think, of anxious kids. Yeah. And I think that's particularly true with kids who are still in the concrete thinking phase of their lives, right? Like, let's say up until the age of around 11, up until around 11, let's say, you know, when a kid begins to have abstract thinking coming on board and they can go, okay, dad sounds angry, but I think he's just really that's just dad. Or, you know, uh, I think dad sounds angry, but I know he's under a lot of pressure at work. So it's not about me. That's abstract thinking, right? That's like putting together threads of lot. But when you're a little kid, man, you all, you, you, you do not have the capacity to make those kinds of judgments and those kinds of interpretations of reality. And so you're just hearing anger must be about me, must be about something really bad or something. Right. And, and, you know, I, I was thinking just now, and this is a regret that I have, 
but that I have gone back and, and spoken to my children about as adults. When the kids were little, we had, you know, I was a pastor. I was, you know, we were hanging on financially at different points in our lives. And I expressed openly a lot of anxiety about financial security. We can't, we can't spend money on, you know, I'd have these moments. I'd have these Enneagram four moments where I'd be like, I'd, I'd go off the rails and I'd be like, oh my gosh, we can't spend money on that. We can't do that. We can't, we can't afford. And, and you know what? All three of my kids as adults have struggled with issues around finances and really mm. the and, and, and anxiety about finances as older people. And I'm like, oh golly. So I've had to go back and go, sorry guys, that's one of the things I blew. Mm-hmm. And um, they'll, you know, so they carry that with them. So there's, that, a, there's an example of, you know, I've had to do that. <laughs> you have no idea how many apologies have been made. Um, <laughs> but I do, th- but to that, to your point, I do think that apologizing and making amends to your children uh, is really important. I, I do think when they become them. of a certain, mm-hmm. you know what? I remember telling one of my kids once at a very, very tender, vulnerable moment for both of us. I just said, you know, Anthony was with Maddie, my middle. Mm. And I said, you know, Maddie, a day might come when you're going to be really angry at me. And I just want you to know that's okay. All right. That's okay. And I said, but I do want you to know that in the event I'm not there when that happens, that I'm really sorry for anything I did that hurt you. That I never did something to hurt you out of malice or wanting to hurt you. It just, it just happened as the result of my own broken condition. And it was just one of those moments in my, my parenting that I, 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 for, for whatever reason, I've never forgotten that conversation because it was so meaningful. And I, and I, looking back, I think, gosh, I hope parents get a chance to, before it be, you know, because you know, you don't know what tomorrow brings, man. Like just mm-hmm. say you're just have those conversations now, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It is good. So how do you, how do you help parents? Like you, you mentioned in the book about you have five different ways to help parents with their anxious hearts. Help us. What are they? Yeah. I, I mean, I think one of them is, I think anxiety often Well, let me say, when we get stuck in certain thoughts, when we're anxious in that way, when it's showing up in that way, I think often it is an indicator that there's more happening inside of us, that we are grieving and we're not aware of it. There's some kind of loss that's happening. We are unsettled about some part of our lives that there's, we're angry about something even. And, and so I think allowing ourselves to do some digging and to go underneath the anxiety to see if there might be more going on at the time emotionally. Because I think anytime we're like that, especially if we're getting kind of obsessive about whatever the thoughts are, whatever the issue is that our looping mind has attached itself to, I I do think often there's something else deeper happening. And so that would be one. And then out of that, I, I am saddened at how often I think parents don't take the time to talk about their own feelings, that there's just not a lot of time for self-care. The amount of times parents will say, I want my child in counseling. I might need it for myself, but who has time for that? Or I don't have the money to pay for Mm -hmm. them and me to go to counseling. And so I'd rather pay for them first. Well, as a therapist, I would honestly say I would prioritize yourself first. 
because it's like the oxygen mask phenomenon. If we are not getting the help that we need, like you said, our stuff is going to leak out and they're not going to be able to become healthy in a non-healthy environment. And so I think we've got to prioritize our own emotional growth and the things we need to do to take care of ourselves. Those are the first two. Third Mm. would be, just like with kids, I tell kids I want them to practice doing brave things. And, And what you said is so true earlier about ones, and I think really anyone who's anxious, we can get really locked into a very safe, inflexible world where we're not taking risks, we're not doing things even that we feel proud of, we're not making new friends, we're not taking on new routines. You know, I mean, that there's just a lot, there's not a lot of growth even sometimes happening. We get really safe and really stuck. And so I think doing something scary is really important. I would say also practicing doing things you're afraid of. I just listened to a podcast with Jane Fonda and... Julia Louis Julia Louis Dreyfus. Have y'all heard that podcast? No, but I love Julia Louis Dreyfus. Me too. She interviewed Jane Fonda, who was talking about Catherine Hepburn, saying something like, "You have to do things that make yourself afraid. Don't get soggy." That's what she said. Don't get soggy. And I think isn't that that. cool? And in our anxiety, I think we get soggy sometimes. We just get, we don't practice. Mm. We don't do the hard things. And so all of that, I believe, is true. And then, again, as a parent, I think parents are not taking care of themselves enough. So taking the time, I'll never forget this couple that I was seeing who had four kids, one on the spectrum. I mean, there was just a lot happening in their house. And I said, I want y'all to take 10 minutes a day where you go for a walk without any children. I don't care what the house is like when you get home. I want you to get out of your house together and have some time. And they looked at me like that was asking them to hike Mount Kilimanjaro. You know I mean? They just felt like it was impossible. (laughs) And I think we all give out of an overflow of what we receive. And so when we're running on empty, that is exactly what we have to give. And so for parents to do whatever it looks like to refill your tank so that you have something to give is deeply important for your kids. Mm. And often we Mm. don't think that. Wow. This has been such a rich conversation, Sissy. I want everyone to remember now, we've been talking about the worry-free parent living in confidence so your kids can too, which is your amazing, wonderful book that came out this year that everybody should get their hands on because it is so timely. It is such an important topic. It's a book, as I mentioned earlier, that I wish I'd had when I was a, a, a young parent. Please, please, please go get yourself a copy. Do yourself a favor. Go get yourself a copy of this book and and learn how to move move through the world with more ease uh, and and with uh, with with greater emotional wisdom. I think I think that's just so so important. Sissy, thanks for being on again. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always so fun to talk to y'all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Anthony, yeah, I don't want you to worry about nothing. <laughs> I'm going to bed worry free tonight. All right. That's what I'm talking about. I did my job. There you go. You know, I'm, I, am, I do feel regularly in charge of your mental health. <laughs> You're doing a good job, Ian. I know. Look, you've got a great kids. you got a good life. Come on. I mean, and I take the cred. It's all, it's all because of my work. I know it's that. you, baby. Hey, everybody. In all seriousness, we love you. And we wish that you have peace and love and joy and healing and rest today and all the days of your life. We'll talk to you next time.
If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio. Your happily ever after is waiting for you in the Chrysler Pacifica and Pacifica Plug-In Hybrid. With available all-wheel drive, Pacifica helps handle adverse conditions like magic. And with a plug-in hybrid, it can help your range anxiety disappear. Make your drive even more enchanted in the Chrysler Pacifica. And watch Disney's Disenchanted, now streaming only on Disney Plus, rated PG. Disney Plus subscription required. Must be 18 plus to subscribe. EPA estimated 520 mile total range with a fully charged battery. Actual mileage may vary.